Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Truth to Power on YouTube. Initially, I wanted to do a series of interviews and conversations about homophobia and heterosexism because I felt kind of, I don't know, unsure of myself and ill-equipped when my son came home and was sharing with me what's been happening at school. And it's a lot of just homophobic jokes that are happening at school, on his video games, and here I am, a cishet woman, cisgendered, heterosexual woman, like telling him how to stand up against homophobia. And while I know that I need to do that work as his mother and also want to make sure he understands how homophobia and heteronormativity are linked to heterosexism, I thought it's really also important for me to listen and hear the lived experiences of people who identify and so I thought, okay, who do I know and who do I trust and might trust me enough to sit down and have a conversation about homophobia, heterosexism, and all that comes with that. And so uh, today we have with us David Dwight. Yeah. I really appreciate you sitting down with me and chatting. Absolutely. Glad yeah. To be here. Thanks for coming. So I want to just start with kind of asking if you have any any advice for me in terms of you know, what, what should I do? What am I missing? What sort of support do I need to give my son who, who, um, identifies as heterosexual, but understands like in our family, we don't, we don't judge people no. for their sexual orientation. So what do I, what do I need to do to tell him and support and help him understand like, this is serious. And it's, it's something that's important and something that we need to make sure we have the words to articulate, like why it's not okay and how it's impacted people. Yeah, I think this step of talking to people in your life that you know that are queer, identify as queer, and learning more about their experiences and what it meant for them as they were growing up and experiencing some of these same situations, I feel like can bring that gravity to it and just make it so much more real, um, especially as there have been a lot of advances for queer rights across the last few decades. I think sim that's one way that it's similar to racism. It can sometimes um, make it no less pernicious or dangerous for queer people, um, but can seem more hidden or covert um, in ways. And so I think talking to people and hearing their experiences is a great way to get at it. Yeah. yeah. And even just around language, right? So we use this term LGBTQ yeah. um, and you know, trans folks and LGBTQ folks have, have aligned in terms of rights and 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 yet at the same time trans rights has has become a, a avenue in and of itself in recent years Important. um yeah but just in your own experience how do you identify yeah absolutely so uh cisgender man um black queer uh and then i think about these other identities that i feel like are forming um, yeah i'm still getting a handle on them around um what it means to be american um, also in some ways, like a second generation immigrant with my, all my mom's side of, uh, my family coming from Jamaica. Uh, and so digging into that, but yeah. Yeah. I didn't know she was from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. She moved uh, to America when she was six. Um, and yeah, everyone else on that side of my family has, you know, Jamaican accent. Um, a lot of them who have immigrated here and, and a lot who are still in Jamaica. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So queer is a term that for some folks who are older yeah. feel like is a pejorative term, but younger folks have reclaimed it. What's your story around uh, claiming 
the definition and identity of, of being queer. Yeah, even in my life, uh, queer was a really pejorative term. Um, as, as recently as when I was in college five years ago, um, even then it was in the process of being used differently. And of course, queer has been used across the ages by people, but sort of in the popular, like mainstream use of it, um, it's definitely grown recently. And so I know when I was a kid hearing in school, queer was absolutely a slur that was used to put people down, whether it was actually referring to them being LGBT or not. Uh, it was just in that same, like, that's so gay kind of way. Um, and I even had reservations about using that term because I was still um, wrestling with the implications of what that means and a lot of internalized homophobia um, that existed. Um, but as I've grown up, it it's really has felt like the word that's closest. Um, when I first came out, I came out as bi um, to some friends who are also um, LGBTQ in high school. Uh, and then started saying gay because it felt like it was easier to say to people. Um, and if, uh, if sexuality is a spectrum, I'm closer to that, um, like exclusively having attraction um, to men, but that hasn't really captured the fullness of the identity. And so I feel like I've been searching for what that could, uh, what word best encapsulated that and queer has felt really good and comfortable and, you know, language can be empowering. So. Mm -hmm. It can. And I do think it feels like we're, we're owning more mainstream that it is a spectrum, Yeah, that it's absolutely. not a binary. It's not either or, but yeah. that it really is a spectrum. And queer, that, yeah, exactly. That word has that aspect to it, which can be kind of freeing and, and it gives space to be yourself uh, within it. Mm -hmm. um, so I've, I've loved that. And I've also heard people talk about this feeling that wh whereas um, gay or lesbian is, is solely about sexual orientation, that yeah. queer also feels like it leaves some space to also represent gender identity that's Absolutely. on a spectrum as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, does that resonate with you too? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think it's a word that in that same way can build that community because there is a history um, with LGB people. Um, you know, we have the full acronym LGBT, um, but that trans rights and and people who are gender uh, non-binary non um, feeling really left out and ignored um, by the people that represent the other acronyms. So I think this identity around queerness can make sure that we're always paying attention to all of these pieces, like understanding that it's not just about you know, sex and right. that piece of it, but um, it all exists on a spectrum and we need to be fighting for all of our rights. Yeah. And I'm even hearing people, you know, identify as pansexual rather yeah. than bisexual. Yeah. And... To speak to that, mm -hmm. um, not that gender binary, not always buying into it with our language. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so the way that those intersect is, is, uh, it's, it's, it's like an onion. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> really the layers. <laughs> it really is. It really is. So in terms of, um, how you think about your queerness and your sexual orientation and your identity. Like, is there a, a push and pull around uh, sometimes feeling like people make that all you are and wanting them to see more of you or sometimes where you feel like you want to lead with that or because you even just mentioned, right? Like yeah. the fact that you know, people sometimes reduce sexual orientation to sex yes, and it's so much more than that. Yeah. And so how do you do that dance or what advice would you, for you personally, how do you do that dance and any advice for folks to not, um, over focus 
hyper focus on people's sexual orientation. Totally. Uh, and I, again, it's, it's those words, right. That we, um, have to explain what all these differences that exist amongst humans and it's normal and, and natural. And so we use these words that can sometimes also box us into right, the oppression that has existed around them. That has been, I think, one example of how that plays out in my life in the struggle is around the concept of coming out and all of the expectations that come around that. Like, I can't just exist in the world as myself and all that comes with that. Um, there are all these expectations, which gets into that heteronormativity around needing to come out um, and that being a thing that I have to do versus just being able to exist and be myself. And um, that has been a struggle around um, when do you have to come out of the closet? Does it have to be a big thing? Can I not just talk regularly and use the pronouns that I would regularly use to talk about who I'm interested in or attracted to? Um, and so there is that that aspect of it uh, in, in coming out um, and just constantly feeling that struggle against what is normative in our society um, that is annoying and then and then creates these boxes when we exist at the intersection of all of these um, identities. Yeah. Um, and it's an important part that I'm, I'm proud of um, and you couldn't know me without uh, this part of it. Um, you couldn't know me fully, but it is one of a, of a number of things make up me how have your other social identities intersected like i mean especially thinking about being a black man yeah i and that's only i'm making the assumption but those are identities that i could see given the way that our society is structured and the oppression is such that that being at that intersection would be particularly yeah absolutely i don't know what the word would be tough trying yeah i i think it plays out in in so many different ways um there's around masculinity at the intersection, right? Gender at the intersection of, of race and what that means and expectations around how masculine I should be and even feeling that. Um, and it created tension with me and my father growing up. Oh, really? Um, feeling like I had to fit into this box of what a black man was supposed to be, um, both, both in maleness generally as a culture, but then the specificity of as a black man and, and kind of struggling against that. What were some of those um, expectations that you felt like you had to fit in? Yeah. Um, from things that seem really small from uh, as much as wearing a watch on what wrist I wore a watch growing up um, and those things around, Oh, is a, a man supposed to wear it on which side? And I remember it being, it felt like it was tied to my identities around gender and also sexuality to be like, oh no, that's not something that's important to me. Um, and so I was like, no, I'll wear my watch on whichever side I want to wear it. Um, so from small things like that into the larger things about um, expectations for what my life should be like and what my partner and who that should be um, and that playing out. Um, into things around, um, I've, I've grown up in a lot of, uh, white communities, majority white communities. Um, and then when I was in a majority black community it was be when I was, uh, in places with my family, right? Like when we went to Philadelphia uh, and I have quite a bit of family in Philadelphia, um, and being immersed in, in that culture. And so it was always, um, interesting to go there and see some of the ways that like legacy in black families can be so important in that like family unit, and the history and how much how important that is um, for 
um, like resilience against uh, oppression and the strength of that. And there being this really prescriptive idea of what black family and legacy could mm. be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so deep things like that, that really kind of scarred me and were like traumatic yeah. to experience. And I'm still in the process of unlearning and realizing new ways that, 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 that has affected me. Right. Well, and I mean, what you're, what I hear that you might be getting at is that, that like internalized homophobia. Yep. Absolutely. That you internalize, like, this is how you are supposed to be. And because you're not, you're less than. (sighs) Yeah. Yes. You're not enough. Yeah. And then I think even in my adult life, the intersection um, has been interesting in seeking out queer spaces, right to be in community, um, and finding power and comfort and joy in those spaces. Um, And often the majority of them being majority white spaces. Um, And so there's that intersection of seeking that community I mean, wanting to be in community, um, in queer spaces, um, but still experiencing racism and that otherness. So you feel otherness as um, a queer person, and then even in queer spaces, feeling othered. So things like, you know, going to gay bars in St. Louis and having my hair touched multiple times or kind of pulled and like exoticized, um, which... Yeah, it, it just doesn't make you comfortable. You know, it's like, what spaces can you feel comfortable in? That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Like, you're seeing so many more examples of black women and mm. black queer women claiming space. Yeah. Where are the black queer men? Yeah, absolutely. And especially, uh, like, if you think about uh, the uh, Black Lives Matter movement and the amazing black queer movement, um, uh, black queer women um, who have stepped up um, to lead um, and I think we've all benefited from their leadership, but they shouldn't have to shoulder everything as well. Um, and I think it is a lot of those, um, that intersection of masculinity and gender with sexuality and what we still expect to be the norm. Like I was thinking about um, elected officials as well, or other uh, you know measures of success in society and how few queer people of any gender identity there are still. And so um, even, and then let alone queer people of color in those spaces. And let alone queer men who are black. Yeah. (laughs) And so um, that intersection is not lost on me. And so I think especially in a place like St. Louis that is liberal. um, Are we? I mean, we, a lot of people would say that they are like, there'd be a lot of white people who identify as liberal Okay, is, is what I mean. And, um, that not actually being effective at dealing with all of those, um, systemic and deep rooted ways, Mm. um, that we actually experience oppression, even though in name they might be like, Oh, I'm, I'm gay friendly. Right. Um, but that not actually playing out in practice. And how does, how does that. How is that raced or not yeah. racialized or not? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Can you think of a time where one of the things that I've been uh, not struggling with, but just trying to work on mm-hmm. is it's, it's not, it's not easy, but you can, you can call out homophobia. Usually people, some, someone says something hateful, that's so gay, or we don't do that stuff, like something, right? Like it's yeah. clear to see that. But what I've been trying to work to see is those connections between either homophobia or, or just something that is and heterosexism and heteronormity, mm-hmm. hetero, heteronormativity, this assumption that 
man-woman pairings are the way to be and the only way to be and the norm. And just trying to think about how to make that plain, right? So we can yeah. talk about the same-sex marriage act and we can look at some of our history, uh, Stonewall, right? But are there examples that you might give to listeners to see the connection between like individual experience and then systems, policies, practices, and norms? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that a lot of what you've laid out speaks to it in terms of that awareness doesn't actually mean transformation, right? So just tolerance doesn't translate to outcomes, life outcomes being changed for LGBTQ people. Um, and so it's not a matter of just of saying, uh, not saying that's okay or using queer pejoratively. It goes so much deeper than that. So um, an example could be, you know, who uh, does get to those higher up spaces in corporations or nonprofits or schools, even though at a, at a, um, surface level, we're tolerant, right? And we say we're accepting of people being in our space, or our school, or whatever it might be. That doesn't mean that we've actually worked on those mental models that might signal to us when uh, promotions or other things uh, are happening, we still might have that model of often men who are married to a woman as kind of that, uh, white men who are married to a woman as that ultimate um, and there's so many ways that that plays out. And then um, we also have this focus on equality solutions. So I think one example is with uh, marriage, which absolutely an important advancement, um, you know, under the law, marriage not being limited to a man and a woman, that doesn't necessarily mean, mean, mean uh, that it gets to the deep ways that it's built into all of our structures that we devalue people who are queer. Um, and that can't be the end of our activ uh, activism or the end of uh, straight people's activism to say, oh, we have a marriage equality, things are great. Um, there's That's the first step. And there's so many deeper threads that we need to continue to pull, um, especially around uh, gender identity and, and um, trans rights. So Yeah, that's something that I, in, in understanding the, the Same-Sex Marriage Act, in reading people who were at the intersections. So whether it was around race or class or gender identity, we're real clear that this marriage equality thing was maybe not even the fight, but if it is, it's not where we stop. And it actually doesn't, like you said, it does not mandate that people see the humanity yes. in people who identify as queer. Uh, yeah, and, and it being that foremost piece of it again is, is the best for probably white men and women of a higher class um, but doesn't address a lot of the really deep health disparities that exist for trans people of color and queer people of color around suicide, um, around HIV AIDS that, uh, that black, uh, people still experience a lot of. So I think about, um, PrEP, um, right. That drug that can, um, almost eliminate the chance of contracting HIV. Yeah. And if you look at the statistics for it, it has most reached white, uh, men, white gay men um, or men who have sex with men, um, but it hasn't, the, the rates of adoption are so much lower for black women, um, black men, black what trans is people. About? Is that about access? I think it's about access. It's about um, who, like marketing as well is a huge piece of it. 
um, and how we talk about it. It's about how we resource different communities um, and different interventions in different communities um, that have all affected and who we see as a priority to get those to get those interventions. So, Reach. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what advice would you give to your younger self? Mm, yeah. I think to trust myself, right? And to, um, that I didn't have it all figured out and there was a lot of ex new experiences to have and things to learn, um, but just to, to trust myself that I knew I had the tools or could gain the tools to, to get through it and to, to thrive. And I think sometimes um, as a young person who's experiencing changes or realizing new parts of their identity or running up into that in the world, you um, can constantly be searching for the external piece to give yourself validation or to model, model yourself after. And some of that is like human, absolutely. And, you know, we're social creatures and um, our identities exist in relation to other people. Um, but at the same time, um, to have been able to um, have that inner strength and that inner um, sense of sureness that and trust in myself that, that um, I would find my, my way through it. Hmm. Um, I think I, I could have had, could have had more of that, but I think I turned out pretty well. I think so too. I think so too. <laughs> I <like> to think. <laughs> is there, is there something that your peers around you could have done to support you in that? Mm -hmm. The adults around you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of ways that um, well-meaning people um, impose things onto others um, that ultimately can be at the detriment or can feed these like negative internal mm. cycles for that person. Yeah. And so there absolutely was a lot of um, like self-loathing or mm -hmm. um, that internalized homophobia that I had to unlearn partly because of what was being uh, placed on me by other people in, in the community around and can you often, give some examples of those so people can kind of know oh I, I i put that on somebody sure um i think sometimes um when coming out to people um there can kind of be the baseline reaction right of of being like oh yeah that's like fine yeah like i don't i don't care about that mm-hmm um, which is, I think is the bare minimum, but there can be so much above that when it gets to support that's needed for that person or, um, really taking it, like we talk about allyship a lot mm -hmm. and taking that from the level of, oh yeah, I don't care about that to, oh no, I'm, I'm with you in this. Like I don't experience this, but I'm going to be a, like, what is it? A conspirator, um, against, oh, an accomplice? Uh, yeah, an accomplice yeah. against oppression, um, I think there's ways, um, that still a lot of the ways that we structure things. Like I was a boy scout growing up, um, coming out to my parents and, and ways that that could have gone better. I could have been provided more support. I just think, um, we don't intentionally and proactively build those supports mm -hmm. and create that inclusive community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we do it reactively. So um, if you could tell, if you, if there's a, an adult listening that has a, as a young person in their life come out to them. Yeah. What would you tell them to do? Um, I think I would say, of course, um, be there for that person and support that person. Um, 
but don't be so prescriptive about uh, allowing them to grow into themselves and and thrive and define their own reality mm -hmm. as well. Um, so I think there can be a line there. So what does that um, look like? What might yeah. that look like in terms of, is it saying something, not saying something, doing something? And I think I'm, in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm still searching. Like I can think mm -hmm. of negative oh, share times the negative. That, it's, that it's happened. Yes, please. Um, and so it can so be hard do not to repeat. try and think of the positives. That's fine. Let's talk about that then. Yeah. I mean, um, coming out to my parents, I think there were all kinds of ways that they were going through their own processing of things and realizing, I like said this in a text to my dad, that you're being open to a whole new area of humanity that you never knew existed before. And I get it. That's tough. <laughs> and that's a process for you. And you're reevaluating all the expectations or, or visions you had for my life. But don't take that, don't put that emotional uh, energy onto, onto me, which happened a few times um, and has happened uh, with various other people in my life. Um, and so not putting that emotional baggage back onto the queer person can be a really great thing and freeing for that queer person who's already taking on a big burden by having to come out in this heteronormative world. And that's real. Um, yeah. So I hear that. And so some of what someone could do is to do their own work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah to, there are a wealth of resources, um, videos, um, even pop culture and movies that have um, kind of tread these paths. Um, and so it, it, it can be a great gift to that queer person in your life to educate yourself first and then come to the table showing that you've put in the effort. Um, that can be one of the greatest expressions of love and that you care is that you did the work, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and just even knowing uh, one of the things in researching a workshop on heterosexism and homophobia, I learned, I, mean, I knew that, that um, identifying as gay wasn't new, but I learned that like ancient Mayans, yeah. Chinese, uh, um, where else? Egypt, Angola, yeah. like so many places. Yeah. And we, when we talk about like in the black community at the intersection and we're calling back to Africa and the ancestors, those communities didn't have the <laughs> rigid, right. The <laughs> rigid definitions that we have today. A lot of them didn't have the rigid definitions around gender and around sexuality that we have in this like Westernized, uh, kind of white European, yeah. um, influenced society that we have in America today. And so. Absolutely. Yeah. And I knew that intellectually, but I didn't have the, the communities to call out mm. the centuries to call out, Yeah, you know, but to understand that, that long, 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 long history. This is not something new. Absolutely. And so we need to stop treating people as if they're some aberration, mm -hmm. something that's foreign. Yeah. 100%. It, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Um, any advice that you would give to to other young people who are who want to be accomplices, who want to be allies, who are sitting there hearing their friends and classmates say things like that's so gay? What would you have wanted your classmates and friends to say so that you didn't have to. Yeah. I mean, on the, that's so gay thing. I, I, I tend towards sarcasm and dryness. Yes. And so what even, do you when usually I was in, do? even when I was in high school, I'd be like, Oh, this thing is homosexual. Like this, whatever that, yeah. that thing might be like, Oh, that, wow. I didn't know. 
<laughs> but that was my, you know, sarcastic <laughs> approach to responding to it. But but that can be effective. Yeah. It, it can be effective <laughs> and make people pause. Yeah, pause and think about the language that they're using and the implications of, of what they're saying. Um, but I think broadly about how people can um, be better accomp accomplish accomplices um, is that no matter what community you are in across this United States, there are people organizing, queer people organizing for their rights and for justice. Um, and so to not kind of wring your hands or, or um, kind of say, like, feel um, like there's nothing that you can do. Um, they're like, even in St. Louis, there are amazing organizations that are doing work and need people to support them, whether that's volunteering, whether that's your money, whether uh, that's a variety of things. I think that can show <laughs> and, and really put into action um, a lot of our commitments. So I think that's one way. And then, yeah, being there for queer people in your life and, and doing your, your research to know what they might be going for and not assuming things as well um, to listen to queer voices can be a great way as well. Do you want to shout out some of those orgs? Yeah. MTUG in, in St. Louis does really incredible work um, and work across the state as well um, to, to do the organizing work and, and also the education and advocacy work that, that needs to be done. So where can people find you if they want to hear more about you and hear from you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter at David underscore D-E-E-4, uh, the number four, um, if you want to listen to my musings and errant thoughts. Um, or you can also look at Ford Through Ferguson's page, uh, where I do a lot of my professional work on racial equity. Great. And thank you for that work. It's important. I know you've been with the commission's work since... It started. You were an undergrad when yeah. the commission came to be. Yeah, turned on as an intern, and now I'm working there four years later. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for your longevity in that work. It's been great to be in the community. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me. I appreciate it. I appreciate I will, your willingness to come, to be honest, to share. Um, it means a lot, and I think will help people understand and, and reflect. So thank you. Thanks for diving deep. Yeah.